You are tuned in to Election Connection on WFMP 106.5 FM with me, your host, Ruth Newman. And today we have with us Judd Hendricks, who is, among other things, Executive Director of Interfaith Paths to Peace. Is that right, Judd? That's correct. Yep. Good to be here. Thank you. Yes. And, and explain a little bit about what Interfaith Paths to Peace is for those people who don't know. Well, Interfaith Paths to Peace was started about 30 years ago, actually, to be a, a peacemaking group to bring together Louisville's diverse populations uh, to uh, specifically religious populations to uh, build cultural and religious understanding and then to collaborate around peacemaking issues. So yeah, we've been doing that for 30 years and do that in a variety of ways of bringing groups together for, you know, religious understanding. And we've recently started focusing on how to bring religious communities and spiritual communities together to address Louisville's most pressing social issues. So that's uh, one of the things we're launching uh, in a couple of months is the Louisville Interfaith Collaborative, where we're going to be really intentional about uh, bringing people together around diverse identities to address Louisville's most uh, most challenging issues together. We believe that through collaboration, we can actually uh, have a bigger impact than trying to do it alone. And we believe that through shared action, that's one of our new projects, so along with uh, another thing we're doing is hosting a Cure Violent Intervention Site, which is really exciting work training and hiring uh, members um, from the Shawnee community to do violence reduction work. So that's wow. another exciting project. Those are kind of our two violence prevention, which is, you know, kind of where our focus is moved um, uh, yeah. the last year or so is to, to the violence reduction work. So. Yeah. And so what I've got down in, in my notes is I, you know, I, I, try not to spend a whole lot of time on on the problem because that's what you get on the news all the time about exactly. the problem and uh i know i just had a few topics on on the root causes of violence but i didn't want to get really heavily into that and and of course the different people see it differently but I mainly wanted to get into uh, the the assumptions that you're making, what your expectations are, what is it you want to accomplish, and then how what methods what methods you're using, who are the stakeholders, how are you even going to start a conversation with these? I mean, how are you going to organize this? Who will you be inviting to participate? communities you want to focus on or is it something citywide? I guess that what you are involved with, one of the projects that you're currently working on, it's something to do with gathering together a bunch of folks from, and I assume it's from different backgrounds, different perspectives, to uh, address gun violence in Louisville. So there's a lot to unpack in all of that. So explain to me what kind of project this is. Yeah, well, there's two main ways that Interfaith Paths to Peace is trying to engage in, in violence reduction. The first is we are hosting uh, what we call the, the ecosystem, the Louisville Ecosystem for Violence Reduction. And this is 
organizations all across our city. In fact, we've done a, we're doing a social network analysis of all of the organizations involved in violence reduction, and we've come up with 300 organizations. So we have a list of 300 organizations, and we're analyzing uh, how they're involved in violence prevention work. So one of the the concepts we're using is what's called uh, an ecosystem, which means we're trying to look at the the biggest picture uh, upstream, midstream, and downstream uh, solutions and interventions to violence reduction. And so we're trying to organize, uh, and on March 28th and 29th, we're going to be hosting a community-wide summit where we're bringing together all of these in individuals, including, uh, you know, Metro government and LMPD, where we include them in our community. So when we say community-wide summit, uh, an ecosystem, it includes everybody involved in this work, including uh, all of those groups. And we're going to uh, bring them together for a two-day conversation uh, to talk about who's doing what, who's in what spaces, and how together we might be able to have a, a greater impact on violence reduction work. And so that includes, you know, everybody um, that's working like with young people. Uh, we do know that uh, a lot of the violence um, is being experienced and conducted by, um, uh, you know, in marginalized communities, specifically black communities that involve uh, young, young black men. Um, who are experiencing to a de greater degree than anybody else, you know, the ramifications of, of violence. And one of the things we're focusing on is upstream solutions. Um, so those are the solutions that try to get at what are, what's the environment uh, and the conditions by which people live in that make violence um, more predominant. And we know that the two big factors are uh, racism and poverty. And so that these communities have been impacted. So if you take the homicide map um, uh, from last year and you overlay it with the food insecurity map, they're basically the same map. You know, they're basically showing that the places where the homicides are um, are related to food insecurity and poverty. And then if you take that map and overlay it with redlining that happened, um, the disinvestment from these communities, it's the same map. Mm -hmm. So you can trace, you know, kind of white uh, supremacy or racism to the disinvestment of neighborhoods. The disinvestment of neighborhoods creates insecurity, food insecurity, safety insecurity, and then that creates the conditions by which people have limited options. And so out of the need for their own safety, they turn to, to violence. And so what we're really trying to do is to, to decriminalize in one way these communities and these individuals, um, but to say these are systemic issues and that violence in these communities is just one more example of you know having a lack of resources and being marginalized so we want to address upstream issues we also want to address midstream issues which is you know how do we interrupt where violence happens another thing that interfaith paths to peace is doing is we're hosting a cure violence intervention site um, which is a really beautiful national program that's uh, well documented to be you know uh, successful in helping reduce gun violence 
is um, we train people in these communities. There are going to be six different sites all over Louisville, and each site uh, has eight to ten employees that um, we train to do interruption work. So that's specifically to to people that have trusted relationships with these um, members that may be um, conducting violence. They they intervene in that and give them other options rather than retaliating or rather than than shooting them um, is to say, look, there are other options. We can help them mediate uh, other solutions. It's not the idea that, oh, you know, you all have to get along. Part of it's just, hey, don't shoot this other person. You know, don't don't act violently towards this other person. There are other ways in which you can resolve that conflict. And then we also surround them with 360 services to say, what do you need to move outside of poverty? You know, what do you need to have other real options? So when you take a gun out of somebody's hand, you also need to put something else in their hand. You know, so it's to surround them with other uh, resources to give them real options about making other choices. When you say you have these several sites around town that you're going to conduct these trainings, um, are these people that you're gathering together either for the conversation or for the um, intervening part? Are they going to be members of those communities themselves? Are they going to be, I mean, are you going yeah, to have people that's like... the key. The Go key ahead. is to engage yeah, trusted community members in these, in these communities. So you don't, you don't train people outside of the community to come into the community. You actually work with the community members that have trusted relationships with, with these communities and these individuals, and you train them and resource them to be interrupters and to be, you know, kind of uh, of caseworkers uh, in these communities. And that's what's so beautiful about this model is it really says those that are closest to the pain are the closest to the solutions. Mm -hmm. And that is really what we need to continue um, to remember is that marginalized communities are already addressing these issues. They're already engaged in this kind of work. What we need to do, uh, specifically as white communities and what we will call macro level communities, is we need to listen to what they're doing and that we need to then provide them the resources they need to do the work that they're already passionate about. So I think one of the underlying methods that we're really trying to promote is that marginalized communities have the solutions. They do need certain resources in order to do the work that they want to do to create the communities they want to create. And that's what we need to listen to. And we need to um, resource them uh, to do the work that they're already doing and that they want to do. And that's really what this cure violence model does. It's also when we do this convening, we're wanting to surround uh, uh, impacted communities and members that are already doing work in this space. We call them the social innovators, the social innovators that are already doing programs that are you know, working on food justice issues, that are doing after school programs, that are working with um, re-entry issues in these communities, is how do we resource them to do that work better? So both the, the Cure Violence site and this community-wide summit really does put a focus on the voices and initiative of, of marginalized communities to help, help them address the problems that they're passionate about. Now, what about 
other people who may not live in the community, but uh, will be interacting with the community, like the court system, the school system, the police department. Are you planning to involve any of those kinds of people? Oh yeah, they're all included in this ecosystem. So this list of 300 individuals includes a lot of the, you know, historical kind of large nonprofit organizations that are working in that space. So it would definitely include you know, LMPD, Ocean, which is called the Office of Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods. Um, you know, the Ocean already does an amazing amount of work in this space. They already have people that are doing community mobilization. They're, this is where the, the grants came from to do the, the Cure Violence site. So the idea for the community-wide summit is to include everybody. You know, everybody is, that's passionate about reducing violence has an important role. Um, and what we want to help them see is what role do they play in the larger ecosystem? Because one of the things we're realizing is that people are doing work, but they're doing it in silos, that they're not aware of each other and they're not collaborating with, with each other where they can. And that's the whole purpose of us hosting the ecosystem is to build, you know, knowledge of the whole so that they can do their particular part better. And Maybe collaborate with collaboration. each other. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And so that's what the summit's all about. Not only just the summit, but the, a lot of the work we're going to be doing over the next several years is building the the violence prevention ecosystem. So the current name for that group is the Louisville Alliance for Sustainable Gun Violence Reduction. Um, and so that's kind of the the group that's trying to hold the biggest picture. And we want to be really clear that we're not trying to support just one method for violence reduction. We're wanting to say, look, we know there are people that come from different worldviews. They understand the problem differently. They're going to use different methods in order to address it. And we're wanting to say yes to all of those. And we're wanting to say yes, the whole community needs to be engaged in this issue. And we're less concerned about in fact, we don't want people to get into methodological arguments, but what we want them to do is to be able to see other people, affirm that we have a shared vision of keeping our community safe, and then then we can each do our own role and do it in the way in which we feel is most appropriate, but we need to do that out of feeling connected and seeing the whole. So this is not going to have anything at all to do with policy or politics. You're not going to get into gun well, control or anything, anything like that. I mean, we are not particular, and this is exactly what I mean. I mean, we know that policy is involved in that. We know a lot of people are working on policy. Um, and so we want to say yes to them. So, of course, it involves policy. Of course, it involves you know, issues of gun control. But we realize there's different perspectives on that, right? So what we're trying to come together to say is we don't need to agree with each other. But we do know that it takes all of us seeing, you know, it's kind of the, the parable about the elephant, you know, different people are touching different parts of the elephant and they think it's that, an elephant is just that part. So gun violence reduction is very similar. It's such a huge issue. Community violence is a huge issue. It has multiple causes um, that come from different places and it's gonna take all of us to address mm -hmm. those. So yes, advocacy is really important. But we're not going to be coming out with advocacy statements because that's what those individual groups might want to do. 
you know, and they may be advocating for different elements of gun violence reduction. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yes, everybody's included. But what we're trying to say is don't just come with your agenda. Come with your agenda, but also be willing to listen to and connect to other people that are just as passionate as you are. So have you discussed among yourselves how this is going to lay out when you come together in your uh, sustainable gun violence reduction convening? Is it going to be like little, I mean, are you going to bring people of different perspectives together in little groups or how is this going to unfold? Yeah, well, there's a lot of processes, uh, process that we use in this kind of work when you're looking at large systems work. So one of the basic principles is what's called appreciative inquiry. And that's the idea that we start with what's already working. We start with where people have passion. And so we try to get away from, I mean, we all know kind of what the problem is, right? I mean, the problem is that we, you know, are experiencing violence in our community. So we can all agree that we want to reduce that. So what we want to start with is like, wh who's doing what already? You know, who's doing it well? What, you know, where are people already finding successes? Um, and we want to hear stories about that. So that's a lot of the work we do is, you know, let's hear about what is working. Um, and let's hear about what you're passionate about doing. Because we definitely move forward better when we work out of our place of passion. So we're going to tell stories. We're going to connect people, diverse audiences, um, specifically around things that are working and what they're doing that's working. And then from that, we begin to build, you know, okay, where's their potential collaboration? You know, where may there be some, some spots where we don't have people doing work? Um, and then kind of a gap analysis. Um, but the, the idea is to bring people together, hear a lot of stories, make these interpersonal connections, and then begin to build on that. Um, so we use processes like Conversation Cafe. Uh, we harvest insights from the community. So we have these really quick ways of taking insights that come out of individual conversations or conversations in groups of 10 to the macro level. So what can begins to emerge from that is the community can see itself. And we can see where we're going and what we're doing. We can find those places of collaboration. And then we invite people to, to ask what resources do they need? Because we know people need resources to do this work. And that's where we invite other groups around, like Metro Government, the Mayor's Office, like philanthropy, like you know macro level organizations that can begin to respond to the needs that communities have and individuals have that are, are doing this work. And then we're also going to give some space for people that are working in similar spaces to know each other and collaborate. For example, if you're working on reentry issues or if you are working on gun advocacy issues, you know, they'll have a chance to meet with each other to see who else is in that space and then maybe come up with some collaborative goals. So it's a two day event. It's a you know, we need at least two days to do this work. And then we've got some pre event. Mm -hmm. You know, if anybody that's really interested in violence reduction work. From whatever perspective, we invite you to join us um, at our call. We have a weekly call for the Louisville uh, Alliance for Sustainable Gun Violence Reduction at three o'clock on Wednesdays. And we do that over Zoom. We have anywhere from you know 30 to 40 different individuals and organizations each week that are talking about these issues. You know, we're building relationships. We're learning 
each other's story. So if you're really interested and you're hearing this, we would love for you. If you're just a passionate citizen that wants to know what's going on with gun violence reduction, then join us every Wednesday at three o'clock over Zoom and we can uh, give you that. Give them the website that they can go to to contact you. Yeah, if you go to Interfaith Paths to Peace, um, you Say can that find again. information. It's Interfaith, uh, yeah, you go to uh, pathstopeace.org and that's the Interfaith Paths to Peace website and you can get uh, my contact information there. And yeah, we would be happy to send you the Zoom link. So it's um, pathstopeace.org, is that right? Yes, and it's two, the number two. Oh, the paths. Good. Um, when you were talking about people telling their stories, I was thinking, you know, those people who I, w I would think are the most um, exposed to violence are either people who have been involved in crime or police, those two groups, the police or the people who have been involved in, in, in violent crime or in shooting guns. Um, are you going to do anything? Are you going to have them tell their stories because they have, you know, radically different perspectives on it? Uh, the police on one hand and the people in the communities who are getting arrested or who are, you know, being violent. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, again, at the summit, everybody's invited to show up with their story, uh -huh. you know, and, and so we'll create opportunities for, you know, for people to share their stories, you know, what they're doing, you know, again, what successes have they had in helping reduce violence already? So, yeah, everybody's story is honored from whatever perspective. We definitely believe there's a really important role that LMPD plays. Um, you know, it's important that they're at the table, that we hear their story, that we hear their struggle. And it's just as important um, to hear marginalized communities tell their story. And we know those are tricky spaces, right? I mean, it, it is tricky because we're dealing with issues of power. And so um, we definitely want to be sensitive to differences in power. And so we want, you know, these convenings and conversations to be brave spaces you know, we're going to be asking people to listen to other people. And, and I know for certain communities, you know, we're asking a greater level of vulnerability when we ask them to, to share stories and to hear stories. And we're, we're aware of that. Um, so we want it to be safe space and brave space. We also want it to be a space where um, LMPD does not get blamed, you know, where they're not going to be um, taking shots. Um, it, it, again, it's not to say that that there's an appropriate critique of the the system of policing, right? And everybody's aware of that. Um, we don't want individuals to feel attacked just because they're working in a certain role. Um, and again, we're not trying to say that they're not definitely issues of injustice and abuse of power. Those all need to be named. Um, but we're wanting to create space where everybody can be heard. Yeah. And so, you know, we're asking people to show up that way. You know, we're also going to be hosting conversations at three o'clock on, for example, racism and violence and structural racism, because we know, you know, violence has already been perpetrated on these communities. Yeah. And so we do need to name structural violence just as we name interpersonal violence. And there's places for those conversations. And, and we're going to be hosting those conversations 
as well uh, at our three o'clock call. This is your regular three o'clock that you're going to hold. On yes, the Wednesday. Yeah, we already hold it. So you're, you know, we uh -huh. every Wednesday um, and pre-summit and then post-summit, we'll be holding these conversations. That should be really interesting. Are you going to allow the media? <laughs> Well, we, we are going to allow the media, of course. I mean, the media is part of our community, right? So what we want to say to media is, yes, you are welcome to show up. Um, and we want you to show up, you know, as a faithful community member. You know, we don't want you to sensationalize. We don't want you to box up. Um, we want you to be a responsible community member. And so when we say everyone's invited, media is invited because they're part of our community. You know, yeah. but we also want them to show up the way we're asking everybody to show up, yeah. you know, to listen, to share their story, to name what they're going to do in order to reduce gun violence and to not get into um, sensationalism or, you know, boxing people up or putting people against each other because we don't think that's responsible. Yeah. So they're welcome to show up um, and be a responsible community member like we're all going to show up. So, yeah. And that you know, is a problem. A problem yeah. with the media because they like to get eyes on the screen or eyes on their newspaper or their book or whatever and right. they do that with sensationalism and pitting people against one another and exactly uh, just showing and, freeze and frames freeze frames rather than context yeah and so the, the the question to media is the question to all of us if you want to help reduce gun violence or violence in our community, what's your role in doing that? Mm -hmm. You know, and so if they think, you know, they're not serving our community by doing that kind of polarization of, of the issues, they're actually doing violence to our community. Yeah. And I think they need to be held responsible for that, just the way all of us are held responsible for that. Exactly. I'm thinking back to the 1960s, I lived in Los Angeles and I lived very close to Watts so that the people in Watts went to my high school and I had just graduated right before the Watts riots in LA. Yeah. And I came back uh, from college for a summer vacation and I got immediately involved in something called anger sessions because what I did not know was the, the level of anger in the black community. And I went unbeknownst. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was just, I was really traumatized because, uh, you know, they put a bunch of us white people in a garage and then they screamed and yelled at us and we weren't allowed to answer back. And I'm only bringing this up because um, I'm wondering about the emotional state of our community and how you can um, diffuse that potential for emotional outburst, whether it's from the black community, from the police, because that may very well be existing there at these meetings, that well, level. Yeah, it is existing. And I, I think this is where, you know, in, including myself, I think we, we do have to understand the structural violence that is creating the anger. And, you know, I, I think we as white people have to be careful. You know, there was the book White Fragility that came out that, you know, black people don't need to necessarily own 
our feelings about the things that we have done, <laughs> you know, so it, it is, it's very, it's, it's tricky space, Ruth. How do we set up spaces where we can hear each other? And in some ways, you know, you know, reckoning is, and truth, truth has to be told before reconciliation can happen. So we ha we do have to set up spaces where we are willing to listen uh, and we can't ask people that have been violated and that are angry, you know, to stuff that down. So I think we also have to be brave in allowing ourselves to be in situations, not where we're harmed, you know, um, but where we can hear really hard things that come out with a lot of anger and not well, to take it personally to the degree that we need to take it personally. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, this is not, I mean, we, I do believe in setting up spaces where, where that kind of truth telling along with the emotions that come with it need to be had. Um, the summit uh, has some space for that. Um, we're not trying to say people shouldn't bring their story or their emotion. We're just, also wanting to know how to kind of go forward in ways which we can collaborate. So those are, you know, that's where we are, Ruth. We're at these exactly these really challenging times where we have to, everybody's kind of got to be brave mm -hmm. uh, and vulnerable mm -hmm. um, uh, to be able to, to move forward. If you just tuned in, we're finding out from Judd Hendricks, who is Executive Director of Interfaith Paths to Peace, about an upcoming community-wide summit that will be held on ways to reduce gun violence here in Louisville. And in addition, we're finding out about a training program on violence intervention. And you're listening to WFMP 106.5 FM, all volunteer community radio with me, your host Ruth Newman. So let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, and and you probably have been preparing yourself for this kind of a role now for a long, long time, haven't you? <laughs> well, I mean, I you know I'm a so I'm a white cisgendered male, and so I feel like I've been trying to do as much work as I can on understanding my own identities and my own power and the history of people who identify as I do and the power we've had. So I've tried to do a lot of study around uh, critical whiteness and understanding, you know, white power and privilege. And it's still like I've been in conversations this week where, you know, I've been challenged around how I'm using power and that's okay. I'm, I'm willing to, I'm still, going to engage in these conversations and I'm, I am going to try to hear where I'm not using, you know, power appropriately, you know, whether it be as a white or a man or cisgendered and that's okay. Like I can do that. I I'm in, I'm in this space um, because I believe in it and I'm also willing to, to try to do it better and I can I do it better when I hear, um, people tell me how I haven't done it right and I haven't done it right. You know, I've, I've, I, I mess it up and I also know my own shadow. You know, I, I want to be seen as a good white ally. And so I often project that. And, uh, if you actually look at some of my behaviors, they may not, um, always, uh, support, uh, my projected identities. So that's the continued inner work that, 
mm-hmm. that um, I need to be doing and trying to do. Yeah, and, and it, we all have to do that inner work. It's, it doesn't come easy, and we're in strange times right now, so I commend you. <laughs> Are you... Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, other communities have had been doing it longer than I have, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad to be in, in that process. Are the two groups going, I mean, the, you're, the Sustainable Gun Violence Reduction Meeting, is that going to be connected up with the, the violence intervention training? Well, no, those, these are two different pro, programs. So the, the Cure Violence Intervention is, a, um, is being funded through OCEAN, through the Office of Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods. There are different sites that are doing that. So Louisville uh, Interfaith Passive Peace just happens to be one of them. You know, there's also Youth Build. There's also Dr. Eddie Woods with No More Red Dots. There's also the Central Community Center. Uh, there are a couple of religious communities that are hosting sites. So we're just one of six of those. Um, and that's a specific program to reduce violence. Um, the ecosystem work um, is different is different from that and yet is trying to hold the larger container where that work is also included. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see there being a connection after these things get going for a while that people can talk about stuff, ideas can come up, they can get cross-pollinated with the training, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and 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 there are a lot of groups, again, that have already been doing this work. Dr. Eddie Woods has been doing the cure violence model. Um, Ocean has had some similar practices. There's another group called um, uh, GVI, which is called Group Violence Intervention. That's primarily done through through Ocean and LMPD. But they're similar kind of projects. Uh-huh. Yeah, we think it's a, there's a lot of opportunity for people to collaborate and even if you're not at the place of collaboration, it, it will just be good for all of us to to be together and see the different places that people are working at. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there going to be any of this um, linked up with the school school curricula for students? Well, of course. I mean, yeah. So JCPS has a, a violence reduction um, a, a group. Dr. Um, Gamble works with that with the school system with JCPS she does amazing work you know and so they've got some some programs at JCPS that are already being implemented around violence reduction work and she could use a lot of support so if you want to support somebody that's doing really good work you know support Dr. Campbell with JCPS she's at a really as you can imagine a challenging space because our schools have a lot of influence over this and yet are often under-resourced as well so uh, shout out to Dr. Gamble, um, anybody What's, that wants to, to oh, be supportive Gamble. of them. Dr. Yes, Gamble. How do you spell that? <laughs> G-A-M-B-L-E. As you were saying before, we have structural racism. We have uh, institutionalized violence. We have a school-to-jail pipeline. So these things are, you know, part of our our system, our culture. and I don't know how you start to work with them to try to loosen their grip on on reactionary kind of punishment because it seems like on the one hand you are it seems to me trying to establish a, 
alternatives, alternatives for these communities. And yet they have to go to the school every day, they have to go to work, and that's where they encounter the same old, same old with, you know, all of these um, offenses or traumas to, to yeah. there. So is there going to be any effort? So, yeah, there are multiple methods for systems change, um, and we want to embrace all of them. So, right, so there's working on a system. So, you know, there are systems that we work on. So if you're not part of the system, but you want to change it, it's working on a system. If you're in the system, it's called working in the system. So like you may be a member of, uh, you know, LMPD. And so you're working in that system and there's certain ways in which you can change it because you're in the system. Um, there's also what's called um, uh, changing the consciousness by which systems are created. So there you're working at consciousness, you're working at learning, you're looking at um, new ideas. So you shift people's consciousness that creates a system. And then the fourth is create alternatives to the system. You know, so I think all of those are appropriate methods for changing a system, working in a system, working on a system, changing the consciousness by which systems are created and just creating alternatives to the system. So mm -hmm. we need to do work on all of those areas. You know, we need to advocate for systems change. We need to work in the systems that we belong in. And we need to educate ourselves, change consciousness around the system so that it, we create something different. And then we just need to create alternatives. So there's this group, right, that's doing uh, alternatives to 911 calls. It's called DOV, D-O-V, and I forget what that stands for. But this is a group trying to ask the question, how can the community respond to people when a, a police officer doesn't need to show up, you know? Like if it's a case for mental illness or it's a case of, you know, needing resources, you know, because LMPD feels so overwhelmed anyway, you know, mm -hmm. that certain kind of roles that we're asking them to fill that they're not trained to fulfill. So the community needs to come along and create alternatives to that mm -hmm. so that we can help resource people um, without involving LNPD. So that's creating the new system, mm -hmm. right? Right. And, you know, so we can also talk about, you know, education or the systems that we're in. You know, we really feel it's important to do advocacy and to change systems that we're not a part of. But I think it's really important that we are usually very effective at changing systems we are a part of. So I think we can all ask the question, what system am I participating in that I can change that's going to help reduce violence or support, you know, um, impacted communities? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's always a question for us. You know, I get next door comments all the time yeah. in my email. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh -huh. I am constantly have I'm constantly I'm curious because people are having problems all over the neighborhoods and so much of what I read on next door is about those thugs those bad people right right they're coming into my yard they're stealing my packages they're you know taking stuff out of my car uh breaking into my house and it's anger yeah. that I I don't you know, know how to, now you talk about what groups we're in, and I think about myself, what group am I in? Well, I'm, 
I do respond a lot to those next door comments. I'm wondering how do you de-escalate this kind of um, hostility and thinking of people as just rotten to the core and just <laughs> lock them up? Right. <laughs> well, right. Those are the narratives, right, that people are perpetuating and, you know, the, the neighborhood app. They didn't intend it to be that way, but it's become a huge place where people, um, you know, are voicing what could often be considered kind of racist, protectionist types of behaviors. But I think we have to realize that people don't feel safe, you know, so they are looking for venues around which to say, I don't feel safe. Um, mm -hmm. Now, yeah. we all have different one is we get we always should honor when people say they don't feel that way, whether or not we believe that's rational or not rational, because that's the way they feel. I think we can invite people into thinking about ways in which they can use social media or these kind of platforms in a responsible way, mm -hmm. um, you know, that don't create more fear, that don't participate in racism or some kind of unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. um, but those are really tricky spaces. Again, they are um, social network spaces don't allow for face to face conversation. And again, we've talked a lot about this, Ruth, is that we have to create spaces where we can actually know our neighbor uh, mm -hmm. or know our fellow Louisvillian face to face. You know, that's why we do the big table or that's why we host conversations where we can actually hear each other's stories. Mm -hmm. Because if we're already alienated in our eco chambers, you know, we just reinforce our unconscious bias. Right. Um, and the way out of that is long term. Do we know our neighbors? You know, the right. neighbors that we may not agree with or may not go to church with or may not live next to. Mm -hmm. And that's some of that deeper work that I think definitely has to happen in our community. Mm -hmm. And you are taking a good step forward in bringing some of these diverse groups together so that they can hear each other's stories and see things from a different perspective and, you know, understand what it is that people are going through that we are yeah. so alienated from. We just we're so distanced. We're so isolated from other groups of people who whose lives are so different from ours. And and Ruth, that's the, you know, and that's the, what we call it, the spiritual piece or, you know, I, I definitely believe and move from a place that we are intricately um, bound to one another, you know, that we are manifestations of the same life force. You know, I, people may say children of God, whatever language they use to talk about this core sense of being one with each other at this kind of incredible being level. And I think if we start with that, if we can taste that, mm -hmm. then we can have an appreciation or a deeper appreciation for our differences. But if we start with our differences and our particularities, we have a hard time getting to our oneness. And and I, and I can appreciate that's probably easy said as a white cisgendered male, right? Um, because I haven't been in situations where I've had to you know, identify a lot with my identities. So I, I appreciate that, that perspective. And yet I still believe it's true that we, we need to touch our, our essential oneness mm -hmm. and work from that space. And that's hard. It is difficult to do. Sure. I'm just curious yeah. also about whether uh, you plan in these group meetings 
to have any kind of um, ritual or any kind of music or any spiritual input to try and, yeah. you know, bring people to that yeah. level? <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, that's the place, right, where we do touch um, that which binds us together. And so, yeah, we're definitely thinking about, you know, bringing in a variety of different kind of resources to have these shared experiences. So, um, yeah, bringing in our diverse spiritual resources, you know, some, yeah, music that we can all be inspired by. And so, yeah, we're definitely thinking about um, what kind of ritual, what kind of sacred space that affirms everybody's perspectives we can bring in as a resource. Okay, we're going to take a short break here and play some soulful music by Peter Mayer. Stay with us. The ceiling is high To let your soul rise Up to
That was Peter Mayer singing his song, Church of the Earth. And now let's get back to our conversation with Judd Hendricks, Executive Director of Interfaith Paths to Peace, on his work with various organizations throughout Louisville on how to reduce gun violence. I couldn't sleep the other night, and like at 3 a.m., I, I, went, I went into the living room and I was watching PBS on TV, and it was uh, an interview with drug addicts, you know, who mm. had committed violence. But all of these drug addicts that they interviewed who had horrible, horrible stories to tell and all the terrible things that they had done to people. And, and then they each went to the period in their lives when they were at rock bottom. And, and they came out of it. And all of the ones they interviewed, it turns out at the end, you didn't know this while you were listening, but at the very end, they, it turns out that they were all in helping programs, helping other addicts. They'd stopped their drug addiction somehow. They got treatment, some kind of treatment. One guy said that his turning point, and I just kept this in my mind, he said, his turning point was he had reached rock bottom and he was on the floor in his kitchen crying. Mm. And he said, and his dog came up to him and started licking his tears. And that was his moment of <laughs> revelation because he yeah. said that he saw, he, what he said was he saw God, he saw love. Yeah unconditional mm -hmm. love, no judgment. There was no judgment. And, it, and I got the impression that his life was a life of people judging him critically. Sure. sure. You know, yeah. and, and just, you know, these acts of kindness that can completely change an individual if they're at a certain point in their life. Well, I that's a, yeah, just a beautiful reminder, right? To be able to, when we, can express in whatever way we can this kind of unconditional belonging of people and we talked you know we've talked about that in the past that one of the greatest sicknesses we we have in our world today is feeling like we don't belong mm -hmm. yeah you know? and and so how do we you know do these simple acts uh which can have big payoff about just letting people know they do belong they belong to us mm-hmm um, however they show up in the world and you know whatever people have done you always belong yeah and that's a, a function i i would think that a lot of gangs play that yeah, role right sure of, they of, do you can belong exactly. to the gang and yeah. it's got a structure and it's got you know parental figures in it sure and um that well, I mean, you could call it a gang or you could call it a church. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's what churches function as, right? So um, a places of belonging and they all have their different rituals for inclusion and what you have to do to be included. And yeah, yeah and how do we let people know they belong just because they are and, you know, not for mm -hmm. what they believe or what they will do or haven't done. Or, yeah, it can have know. a very healing effect. And that is the same guy actually, who said that um, he committed violence right after his church kicked him out. They kicked him mm. out of the church. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember wh what the reason was, but uh, he, that was when he just felt that he had lost everything. So, yeah. 
Are you going to yeah, involve churches also? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, the spiritual communities are big drivers of, you know, the violence prevention work and hold a really important space. Specifically, you know, a lot of our black churches that are also under-resourced are really doing a lot of amazing work in that space already. And I think they need to be uplifted and highlighted um, as, you know, really beautiful healing agents in violence prevention work. So, yeah, spiritual communities have a really important role, mm-hmm. uh, I think, mm-hmm. to play in this this work. Well, I, I love the concept, and I also love the notion that no matter what your political viewpoint is, that you can play a role in this. Yeah, you know? I have a really important role. And I, I really do think, you know, at the summit, um, again, all philosophical, ideological perspectives are welcome, you know, and the more diversity we can have there to be able to see and affirm that we're all working so that we can live in a safer city. Um, and we all do that out of our own perspectives. And we're, we're not going to ask you to necessarily change your perspective. That may happen. But um, how can you, you know, commit to working towards the common good from your perspective um, is really the, the position that we're taking. That's great. That's great. It's all yeah. about just um, understanding where the other person is coming from, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I did have a question also about, you know, boys, teenage boys. In, in a lot of cultures, there is a ritual where they actually go through a ritual for transitioning from a boy to a man. I don't know if that's if there's any place in, in that for what you're you're doing, but we just don't yeah, have rituals. Well, yeah, I, I agree that that's um, re-emerging. I think the, the power of ritual, and there are some communities that are reclaiming kind of the rituals of inviting young people into what does it mean to be an adult. And I, you know, as I think there are gender neutral rituals. I also think that there are gender specific rituals that are all important. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are communities that are reclaiming the power of ritual. And I do think, as you say, that's a really important way to invite people into healthy adulthood or, you know, healthy femininity or healthy masculinity. Right. And ritual plays a, a really important role, we know, psychologically. And so, you know, what are culturally appropriate rituals that allow us to do that? Um, mm-hmm. Is really important, yeah. And there are some men's groups, you know, um, that are doing doing that work, and I think some really healthy and and good ways that are gender specific, while also some that are doing it that are you know more open to different gender expressions. Well, this has been very enlightening to me, and I really like what you're saying about people telling their own stories. Yeah, that's key. The stories are really important. Yeah, and I think it's so important to have good facilitators, people who know how to bring out the the best in people as we're yeah. as we're groping for answers. <laughs> you well, know? And I, I do want to, anybody that is interested in um, facilitation and wants to be a part of the summit. Uh On uh, March the 22nd at 3 o'clock, we are having a a conversation host training. So we're going to need a lot of table hosts at the the summit, Um, up to 40 table hosts that know how to do 
you know, uh, these kind of conversations, know how to host uh-huh. space uh, so that people feel heard. And um, so uh-huh. if you're interested in that, anybody that's listening, you're welcome to come to our training uh, on conversation hosts. Uh, that will be on March 22nd at three o'clock. And give your website again where they can contact you. Yeah, that's uh, Interfaith Paths to Peace is the organization. And our website is paths to the number two peace.org. And peace is P-E-A-C-E <laughs> dot Correct. org. That yeah. Is, yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Judd Hendricks, for being on well, my show. Well, it's so <laughs> fun to talk with you. It's just a delight. Thank you. That was Judd Hendricks, Executive Director of Interfaith Paths to Peace, outlining plans for an upcoming community-wide summit to be held March 28th and 29th on ways to reduce gun violence here in Louisville. And this is Ruth Newman, host of Election Connection, asking you to help this all-volunteer community radio station remain on the air. It happens that our annual pledge drive is coming up March the 27th to April the 9th. And during that time, we'll be offering some fabulous premiums for your donations. Then on April the 8th, we'll be hosting our six-year anniversary celebration with food, music, dance, speakers, and much more. So be listening for details. Thank you for listening.